0: And boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winter, and I'm here as always with the illumined, Dr. Bear Paul Lando, coming to you from rainy uh, Smith River today, Uh, getting some rain again this weekend. I'm excited. The river is looking extremely healthy. Uh, You know, we are... We are lucky enough to live on the cleanest river, arguably in the north 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 America, uh, and uh, we've been blessed to get uh, water because we weren't getting water for uh, most of winter. So it's been a it's been a rainy spring, and the river is looking very healthy. Uh, so much gratitude for that, and living in the great state of Jefferson, where freedom still reigns supreme, we are blessed. Uh, today we have a wonderful guest, Etienne de la <laughs> Etienne de la Buette squared i'm gonna butcher Uh, it sorry guys i'm gonna butcher that was
1: horrible that was horrible mike
0: (laughs) and um but you know we're going to be talking about a a lot of very important topics uh and covering his book and everything he's been up to what i love about etienne is that like many of the guests we have and what Barry and I try to strive to do in our lives is he is a Renaissance man. He has his hands in a lot of different things and uh, is reaching people in really profound ways through his art and through his um, skills with not only his book, but what his background is. And I mean, he comes from technologies. He worked in one of the largest think tanks uh, in the DC area, uh, which I'd love to touch on a little bit, uh, but left all that to um, really, um, really, live the agorist or what we'd call the voluntarist life, right? Trying to uh, educate people on on the evils of government and really the pseudo-religion of government. And we're going to go deep into that today. And as a fan, as a really a, a crypto-anarchist myself and a voluntarist, um, I really look forward to going into some of the philosophical sides of um, how we can govern uh, uh, civics, um, how society can rule itself. Uh, how ma- living men and women can properly engage with each other uh, that doesn't rely upon institutions, top-down status, uh, um, you know, systems uh, that are, of course, um, ruled by violence uh, always. So uh, this is a very exciting talk, Bear, and I know something close to your heart. Uh, any any notes before I introduce Etienne?
1: Uh, no, I just want to get into this, and uh, we're all eager to hear from Etienne here. De la Bouchy square. So um, and uh, also, I'd like to know maybe a little bit about your nom de plume, uh, you know, once we get started. So, uh, you know, it'd be kind of fun. So, uh, Mike, take it away.
0: And then uh, we'll get started. Fantastic. Uh, on this AlphaCast, Etienne de Les dos <laughs> walks us through the Maya of government, gubernar to control mint dash mind versus voluntarism. In other words, government is mind control. Uh, If you're banking on the next election to change our present trajectory into further chaos, you'll definitely want to tune in to this very special episode of AlphaCast. Organized crime researcher, educator, and professional speaker, Etienne is the author of Government, the Biggest Scam in History Exposed. He makes the case that government is illegitimate, was never intended to protect life, liberty, and property, but has always been used by intergenerational organized crime to rob and enslave, and they've been getting away with it through a partnership with the media to widely control perception. He is a voluntarist, author, father, technology entrepreneur, ex-Wall Streeter, cyclist, runner, hot yogi, multidisciplinarian, truther, armchair econ- economist, cryptocurrency enthusiast, and um, neo-abolitionists, along with, I guess, a rock climber as well, as we'll see in his background. Uh, In his book, he distills 20-plus years of research into short, easily digestible treaties on individual subjects and optimizes them for the 65% of society, who are visual learners while including references and links to more comprehensive research and evidence, including books, videos, documentaries, and audiobooks to accommodate the widest variety of learning preferences. He is the founder of a startup public policy organization, the Art of Liberty Foundation, that is exposing the illegitimacy and criminality of government, government and the hidden curriculum of organized crimes, mandatory government schools, scouting programs and police slash military training the pseudo religion of statism obedience fealty order following and tax slavery uh so much to cover i want to jump right into it bear but uh, take it from here bear
1: etienne uh, i've been looking forward to chatting with you for a long time so thanks uh for making time with us this is uh this is gonna be a real treat today um I guess, uh, you know, in hindsight, I realized I've always been a volunteerist, um, which I used to rationalize why I've always gotten in so much trouble my entire life into presence. So, um, but, uh, yeah, I just came across that term, you know, a few years back, always kind of considered myself sort of libertarian or whatever, but I, I like, uh, I like this new term better. Um, you know, I love your book here. Uh, let me hold it up for the folks, um, Let's see. Can you see that? Okay. Yeah, we see it. Uh, What I love about this book is that um, it's good where normies can pick it up and learn a lot. You know, I, I, Uh, entered this whole arena a long, long time ago, uh, like a lot of people just being pissed off about taxes and uh, started looking into it. And and, uh, man, talk about a scam. And uh, also like a lot of people, I did a lot of research and found out that, wow, this is not only illegitimate, it's immoral and, and everything in the book. So I would try to data dump on a lot of people, you know, give them brochures written by the Federal Reserve and, uh, you know, books, Creature from Jekyll Island and and all sorts of scholarly articles. And then, you know, realize that, hey, nobody's reading that stuff. They're just going to want to believe what they want to believe. But since I've had your book uh, at home here, you know, we have a lot of people that come here and visit the farm. Um, It's it's on the coffee table all the time and people just sort of naturally pick it up. And uh, pictures in their reference with uh, links and and all sorts of good stuff where if people want to know more, you know, once they get the, you know, the pictograph here and get, you know, a nice idea, they can go follow up and go as deep as they want. So it reaches so many more people than uh, somebody like myself, just trying to impart, you know, information right off the start. So amazing job with this. And I, I hear you're uh, in the midst of uh, releasing the fifth edition. Is that correct?
2: Uh, I am. And so the the copy that you were holding up is the fourth edition. Mm -hmm. And I released that in uh, January of 2020. And so the fifth edition will bring the book into the age of the COVID. And really what I'm trying to do is expose how the COVID, because the COVID is essentially the second biggest scam in history, but it was a scam that was only made possible possible by government itself book will be retitled it'll be entitled uh uh, government and the covid the two biggest scams in history and the subtitle is how intergenerational organized crime runs the government the media and academia and when i say intergenerational organized crime i take that all the way back to monarchy and monarchy was really the, you're going to give us your money or we're going to hurt you. And uh, yeah. when monarchy came out of favor, uh, they developed democracy to trick the people into thinking that they have a say in how they get governed. But there's still a ruling class that sits above society that has the ability to use violence on peaceful people to extract taxes uh, or to you know, control society or to make up rules for everybody. And government is always illegitimate because it's impossible to have a legitimate government. If I don't myself have the ability to make up rules for you and steal your money myself, then I can't delegate a right that I don't have myself to representative represent me doing something I don't have the ability to do myself. Nobody can be bound by a social contract that they didn't sign. And if Mike and I can't vote to uh, rob Bear because there's two of us and one of him, well, it doesn't matter if there's five of us or 300 million of us. Nothing can take something that's inherently immoral and make it uh, moral just because the mob wants to lynch black folks or rob Peter to pay Paul. And so government has essentially been the biggest scam in history, and they get away with it because – They've been slipping it to the population as a religion. They don't call it a religion, but they've got all the little tools and tricks of a religion. And it's really this control of perception program where they force you into a mandatory government school or an accredited private school that has to teach the same curriculum to keep their accreditation, where you're taught before you're old enough to really evaluate the logic and the morality that government is necessary, that government is desirable and government is legitimate. And because they're slipping it to you when you're young, most people really never, ever question the premise almost the rest of their lives. And then the other you know, part of the puzzle is that this organized crime system has been controlling perception through controlling the media, through monopolization, And uh, through, you know, on the old media side, six companies running hundreds and hundreds of subsidiaries to give everybody the illusion that there's all these different information sources in society, but everything just rolls back up to six companies, which is essentially six individuals. And then on the new media side, on the internet, uh, you know, search engine, video sharing, social media side of things, there's about two to three dozen, what I like to call kind of new media, you know, you know, uh, internet companies and those companies are controlling information algorithmically. And so this is the big, you know, thing with Twitter, you know, everybody knows that Twitter has been censoring them as, you know, as does, you know, Google and YouTube and Reddit and discuss that does comments on thousands of websites and Wikipedia and Snopes and uh, Facebook and, you know, I could I could go on all the
0: all the uh, fact checkers,
2: all the fact checkers. And so we're going to control perception by either, you know, controlling what the what the audience receives or we're going to control perception by hiding algorithmically and suppressing the websites and, and you know people that are trying to expose the criminality and complete illegitimacy of the system. And so that's um, the basics I- of a nutshell. The yes. final thing that I would do to introduce myself to your audiences is just give a little background on volunteerism. And so voluntarism is the idea that we don't need government, that everything the government does that is non redistributive, you can't, you know, rob Peter to pay Paul, but mostly what government does is a provider of services and whether that service is armed protective services, which they call the police or dispute resolution or old age pensions, which they call social security, or, you know, you just name whatever the thing the government is doing from Amtrak to air traffic control. All of that would be done better, faster, cheaper uh, by the free market, by mutual aid societies, by nonprofits, by real charity. So we don't need government. And if everybody got, you know, right now, government is stealing over 50% of everyone's income uh, in. Overt taxes, covert taxes, and inflation. And when I say everybody knows overt is kind of like the ten forty, but most people they just simply do not, you know, understand the amount of these little hidden taxes. Every time you pay your cell phone bill, every time you pay your you get a hotel room, every time you get a rental car, every time you get an airline ticket, every time you get a, you know, uh, you buy a beer, get a gallon of gas, I can go on and on and on those really, really add up. But all of that is nothing compared to the theft of inflation. And so the theft of inflation is that the, the government and the banks are stealing the value out of everybody's money while the uh, organized crime media you know pretends that inflation happens because you know uh, fairies come at night and sprinkle pixie dust over gas pumps and price tags and so uh, no uh, it's because that the banks the money center banks the city the city groups the wells fargos the the uh, bank of americas the j p morgan chases they've been given the ability to engage in something called fractional reserve banking, where when you go get a mortgage or you go get a car loan, they're not loaning you depositor money. They just kind of, you know, tickle the keys of the keyboard and then boom, uh, you know, they cr- credit your account with digital dollars, even though that's inflationary. And even though that's stealing the value out of everybody else's money. So the more and more, dollars that either these fractional reserve banks create or the Fed itself creates through something called quantitative easing or stimulus or bailouts or you know whatever the excuse is for them to create money out of thin air and hand it to their friends on Wall Street that process creates all of these excess dollars that begin bidding up, The, you know, the the costs of the luxuries and necessities of life. And so that's why prices are rising, uh, you know, and it's a well understood monetary phenomenon that the media pretends like they just can't figure out what's going on.
1: Yeah, you know, since uh, I've been around for a few years, uh, I go by that what they call the Hershey index, you know, when I was a kid, you got a big huge candy bar for a nickel. And now it's uh, cut in size by about a quarter. And and I don't know what the heck it costs these days, but you know, probably well over a buck or something. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, that that's pretty much the way the whole world is. And when you have a little bit of a timeline, uh, to see how much things have changed, to see how much prices have gone up, to see how quality has gone down. And what you get is just, you know, minuscule compared to what you used to get. You know, it's really an eye opener. Um, you know, th- this is the first time we've had a chance to talk at And um, I don't know how much you know about us, but uh, we talk a lot on our show about the fact that what we think of as government isn't even a government, you know, it's a Mm -hmm. private corporation that that's another whole rabbit hole, but we, we go into that pretty thoroughly and how that we're scammed in by contracts, you know, to engage in that corporation. Uh, The other thing is, is, you know, we are kind of a health and wellness uh, channel since I spent, you know, over 40 years as a, as a bioterrain physician. And uh, at the beginning of uh, this whole scam a couple of years ago, I was uh, and still am working with some really good doctors, uh, you know, was included in some documentaries and things where we blew the lid off of this whole uh, cootie pandemic thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we kind of talk and code just a little bit because we're still using douche tube here. I have a powerful disdain for them, but uh, we still get a few normies uh, out of it. You know, our other platforms that we're also live streaming on right now, we're pretty much preaching to the choir. So we kind of play the game just a little bit on this uh, other platform, you know, in hopes of uh, netting a few newbies into the, you know, into the fold here. So uh, yeah, we wanted to talk freely, but then we use code words and everything sometimes. But early on in my career, because it was in the middle of the, uh, or the beginning of the AIDS epidemic, you know, like in 1980, whenever it was, uh, I quickly connected the dots uh, because I practiced functional medicine and uh, discovered that there was no nexus between AIDS and HIV, you know, they always have to have this kind of invisible boogeyman. And of course, that's what's going on again now. So glad to uh, know that you're sort of ringing the bell on that, uh, as well. You know, what I'd really like to get into today as well is, uh, you know, we're, uh, we believe strongly in natural law, uh, you know, medicine, medicine, Government, as we think about it, uh, the financial world, uh, media, if we all obeyed or ran congruent with natural law, things would work pretty good. And, uh, you know, we'd be doing a lot better. So, uh, you know, we know the media is brainwashing people. We know the the educational system and everything. But some of us, for some reason, just came in wired a little bit differently and called BS on day one. And, you know, I'd like to get your take as far as why some people are still going for this narrative, which is so farcical at this point, it would be almost impossible, I would think, to see through it. So uh, maybe we can kind of get in the mindset of, uh, you know, why people are still falling for the same old
2: tricks. Uh, Well, number one, they don't know it's tricks. And so I, like yourself, saw through it immediately because I had read over almost two decades ago inventing the AIDS virus by Dr. Peter Duesberg with a forward by Kerry Mullis, uh, who won the Nobel Prize for the invention of the PCR technique, who went on to say very famously that the PCR test should never be used to diagnose any kind of disease and who died mysteriously right before the whole COVID scam uh, started. Uh, But because I had read that book and understood the criminality and the scam of the CDC and Fauci and, and, and just like the scam of AIDS, I think that's one of the reasons why that, that I didn't fall for it essentially for a second and just realized immediately, like, here we go again. And, uh, and one of the visualizations that I'm working on for the book is just comparing the scam of AIDS with the scam of COVID, you know, we're going to, you know, invent a little, you know, a virus. We're going to say that the virus is causing conditions that are present because of something else. In the case of AIDS, it was, uh, you know, poppers, uh, uh, it was uh, intravenous drug use, uh, you know, attributing, some, you know, uh, um, immune disorders to hemophiliacs that already had immune disorders, uh, you know, there is, uh, there is going to be a fake test where X number of the population is going to be, you know, categorized, you know, as having this quote unquote virus by this fake test designed to give fake positives, We're going to drive you into the Monopoly AMA hospitals where they're going to use uh, drugs that are designed to make it worse. In the case of AIDS, it was AZT. In the case of, you know, uh, in the case of uh, the Cooties, it is remdesivir and ventilators. And then we're going to point to the damage done by the drugs that we give them and say, hey, this is... Uh, this is uh, an example of the pandemic, not an example of, of what happens when you get people on a ventilator or Rendezivir or AZT, um, you know, uh, and so so that that scam, which, you know, which which I thank thank goodness that I you know, read that book, which, by the way, the book inventing the AIDS virus is selling on Amazon and eBay for about 350 bucks a copy right now and at one point it was up to almost a thousand bucks uh and so uh so that uh you know that knowledge really allowed me to kind of uh dodge the whole thing and then be on to them you know be on to the you know the co-conspirators almost immediately uh you know once i realized what was going on
0: yeah wasn't Duisburg even on um rogan didn't he bring him on back in the day bear? Or it was, I thought, and that was huge. I don't, like, I think yeah, so-
1: he was, uh, he was one of the researchers that I really relied on heavily when I was, uh, you know, early in my career, and things just weren't adding up. So he helped explain a lot of things. I don't know if he's around anymore or not. Yeah. You know uh-huh. I, remember, you
0: know? I remember. I remember. I don't know if it was he or if it was him or the other cat. I'm blanking on, but that was a big one where he basically came on Joe Rogan. This was like seven years ago, eight years ago, where he said, "Yeah, no, AIDS is a hoax," and explained it all and uh yeah you're you're dead on etienne um and isn't it interesting i don't know if you guys have seen this but um and this ties into um the fourth estate which doesn't really exist anymore media or journalism but media itself the corporate media sphere just rolled out the magic johnson documentary on apple mm-hmm. and it's you know magic was the poster child for mm-hmm. to continue the aid sphere where that now they converted that narrative into the heterosexual side right or mm-hmm. now it's like and i remember i was I think in seventh or eighth grade and i was a huge magic johnson fan and when that news dropped that he had aids and had to leave the nba all of a sudden everyone i knew was in fear again like i can get it oh my god oh my you know and that actually kept me as a version most of my high school career i think my, you know i'm saying a lot here but everyone was scared everyone was deathly scared so what did they do we're now in 2.0 and everyone's waking up to the pci scam and so they have to now put out this really well-crafted, beautiful documentary about Magic Johnson. And of course, who's in it? Obama's in it. Fauci's in it. Clintons are in it. All these people are interviewed in it. And it's just so funny how Hollyweird is used to keep this magic spell going, right, of government. And um, it's all all wrapped in together to maintain this false illusion of um, us needing government because there's the boogeyman out to get us
2: the and if magic was on
1: the drugs. Yeah, if magic was on the drugs all these years, he would not be looking as well as he does now. Oh, and that's a fact.
0: That was the other thing I was going to mention. Thanks for bringing that up. They kind of touch on that how it's a miracle that he's alive, but they barely do. They they have a clip from Fauci saying Yeah, he's got the new drugs, you know, and stuff like that. Oh, yes. And then they never cover it again. And magically, he's magically <laughs> He's he's all good, right? So uh, yeah, fascinating times. And Etienne, to your point, yes, the fake boogeyman,
2: uh, the manufactured enemy. Whether the you know the invisible enemy is terrorists, whether the invisible enemy is the you know is the climate, whether the invisible enemy is uh, is the cooties, uh, government is going to compact you into a state of fear where they are going to present themselves as the only solution. And they're going to control all the information, or they're going to attempt to control all the information that you receive about any given topic using this monopolization of the media, this algorithmic censorship on the DAR, what I like to call the DARPA Internet. For those in your audience that don't know, the Internet was a military network uh, that the that the military had access to for decades before it was released to the population. Art so by Net. the time yeah. they released it. They had already figured out they've got futurists and cultural anthropologists and technologists and they'd already figured out where they needed to place their bets on, you know, what technologies and what uh, platforms and what companies that they needed to control to be able to widely and algorithmically censor information on their own network and so, uh, so that's really the name of game is control of perception. I call it the most powerful weapon in the U.S. arsenal, the ability to control perception. If, if they can make you believe that you're not a free human being that just lives on this planet, that you're by virtue of where you were born on this side or that side of an imaginary line, that you're an American or a Canadian or an Israeli or a Russian or Chinese, uh, and by virtue of where you are where you're born, you now <laughs> owe half your income in overt taxes, covert taxes and inflation to this organized crime system. If they can really make you believe that they can really make you believe that there's a tiny invisible virus there and everybody's got to wear masks. I mean, that is that is that is just think of the power of that capability. Think of think how much money is being extracted. Think how much uh, damage is being done by that. And so, luckily, uh, the word is finally getting out. People are not only realizing the illegitimacy of government, but they're especially realizing. Just the complete criminality, the boss hog level corruption in Washington, (laughs) D.C., the pentagram is missing trillions and trillions of dollars. The post office has allegedly lost uh, 90, I think it's like 90 or no, 87 billion dollars in the past 15 years uh, alone. Amtrak claims they lost almost a billion dollars on food and beverage alone in a decade. So the so the train goes out with five hundred dollars worth of food that they sell for like three four thousand dollars. When you take a look at the like the you know the markup on an Amtrak train, and then it comes back with no food or no money, and they can't figure out where the money went. Come on, it's, anybody? I used to you know when i worked on wall street i would take you know amtrak you know back and forth between uh, northern virginia and uh, and new york and uh, the uh, the hamburger that you you would get in you could get you could get if you would eat that crap in 711 for a dollar they're selling for 850 they're selling a a beer that they could you know probably they probably get spend 75 cents on for 7 bucks uh, and they can't. They're not. And they're and they're, they lost a billion dollars on food and beverage. I mean, it's a wholesale theft. I mean, we're just being robbed left and right, and the, it's those crazy profits that give them the ability to monopolize the media. It's the it, you know like it, it 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 might as well be free as somebody that you know like on, on Wall Street we used to call it mice nuts. Like the cost of controlling the media versus the trillions that they're stealing. You know, it literally might as well be free, but most people, you know, they just can't comprehend, you know, uh, that, that the entire media could have been bought up and monopolized because there's so many different, you know, magazines and newspapers and radio stations. And, and it isn't until you actually show them a media ownership chart of how all of these ostensibly independent companies roll up to this small, tiny handful of, of six companies that the light bulb goes on and go, oh, I did not understand that that was going on. And so that's one of the things I do in the book is I use visualization to make what was invisible now visible to the public. And so so that is really the magic that Bear was talking about. Once you pick it up and you see the visualizations, it clicks because you see it with your own eyes, and it brings you into a deeper understanding of how the system works. Um, another example that I like to give is, you know, if you take a look at all, you know, CNN and Fox and CN and CNBC and MSNBC and all these different ostensibly independent companies, but don't understand that all of the anchors, the publishers in dozens and dozens of media outlets—they all roll up to. Essentially, four organizations, the World Economic Forum, the Bilderberg Group, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, where they have maneuvered their members into these key editorships, reporterships, publisherships, um, where they're able to have secure meetings and secure facilities on a regular basis around the world to be able to get everybody on the same page with whatever the scam of the day is, Unless you realize that all of these reporters and editors are connected together in four organizations that Jeffrey Epstein was a member of and ought to be the poster boy for, uh, you know, you just don't, you know, you just don't understand how the game is played until you see it with your own eyes. And then again, we've made something that was invisible now visible through visualization, and people are just like, "Boom! I didn't understand that was going on." Now I do, and then once you realize how the magician does the trick, you don't get fooled by the trick anymore.
1: Yeah. And it is an amazing book. I've watched a lot of people pick it up. I don't even say anything. And they just naturally just start going through it page by page. You don't do that with a regular book, but it's like a magazine. They want to look at the pictures, then they read a caption and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, they're just kind of drawn into it. So it's a brilliant, uh, it's a brilliant work. Great Man, idea. Man, I, I could have.
0: You know, I was just going to say, Bear, I could have used this book about 15 years ago, or 20 years ago, my roommates, as I was telling them all this, and there were that exact debate, you know, well, there's no way, like, you know, a lot of these newspapers are independently owned, and there's no way there's this, like, sort of monstrous, you know, conspiracy, and I was like, no, guys, it's very much easy if you can see the pyramid, right, but I didn't have that, that book, that tool to just show them, and now we have it, and it's also become painfully honest, how, or obvious how- um you know,
1: I wanted to make a quick comment about the federal income tax, you know, we've been on that for a long time. And that really is her Achilles uh, heel. Because if everybody just said, screw that every April fifteenth, it would be game over. (laughs) So a long time ago, before we paid taxes online, and all that sort of thing, you know, you wrote out a check and, you know, mailed it in to the, the nearest uh, processing center. And we started uh, examining our checks when they came back. And it was always signed Secretary of the Treasury. Now, with a little bit of sleuthing, we found out that that was not the Secretary of the Treasury of what we think of as our government. It was actually the Secretary of the Treasury of Puerto Rico, And this was the beginning of our journey. Now, this is true. Mm -hmm. And there was a trust that we uncovered, uh, Pure Trust number 51, Domiciled in Puerto Rico, which was foreign-owned. That's where every single check that you make to the IRS, at least back then, went. It went right out of the country. And from there, it was channeled into, you know, through eventually to the City of London and so forth. Mm -hmm. So... I always get tickled when I hear people still, you know, repeating the mantra, pay your fair share, because one thing we have proven beyond any shadow of a doubt, when it comes to federal income taxes, now one red cent goes to maintaining the infrastructure or anything to do domestically with what we think of as our country. It's just, I mean, it's beyond theft. And then people say, well, uh, you know, what about the roads and, uh, you know, and all the infrastructure? Well, first of all, we know they're doing a shitty job because everything's, you know, third world country uh, level right now. And at the same time, those are all consumption taxes. And most of those consumption taxes even, you know, are, uh, you know, grifted off by, you know, the different local bureaucrats and and all that. And then you got two sets of books that we call the the confidential annual, you know, financial reports that exist in every municipality. So, yeah, I'm it's just such a huge scam. And uh, the only reason why we think we have to pay it is with contracts. And this is all stuff, you know, where are just so you know where we're coming from, uh, you know, because uh, we have been sold at the third phase of bankruptcy in the, you know, 20s, 30s as sureties for the, uh, you know, the third phase of bankruptcy. This started after the Revolutionary War, which is first phase. So uh, it's, it's so amazing now. It's gratifying that a lot of people are starting to catch on, but a lot of the normies out there, you know, it's like guys, we're waiting for you. It's not. I don't have a problem with the predators that you know want to kill everybody and want to rob everybody and cause all this suffering, all the pedophilia. Okay, they're just twisted, tormented souls themselves. I get it, but the normies are. The ones that are going along with it, they're the problem. So they're the ones that we're trying to reach here. And I'm not trying to be mean or, uh, you know, anything to that uh, class of people. But we really need to wake up a whole bunch of people quickly because, uh, you know, there's an agenda underfoot right now. And there's a little bit of a sense of urgency right now. We've got scary poppins with the Ministry of Truth. Uh, You know, I mean, they're just like right in the open full on here. It's just incredible. So um, one last thing I'll say, uh, you know, what we're doing here is we're creating our little slice of decentralization, you know, with agriculture, uh, you know, providing for your own food, your own medicine. And we have a little prototype here. That's what we've created here at Alphabetic. And, and, and our whole idea is to share this and make it reproducible so other people can uh, build many of these themselves in their communities. And that's really the only way I see out of this mm-hmm. is just becoming less dependent. So uh, let me know on your end uh, what you see as far as the solution and, uh, you know, maybe in your travel, some of the positive things that you're seeing going
2: on. Well, you know, before we do that, I just want to echo what you just said and tell a story that I don't think I've ever told, you know, uh, told before, but uh, I, I realized that the government and the tax system was a scam in my early 20s and my first job out of college, um, I was introduced to uh, Irwin Sh- the work of Irwin Shift uh, by a woman named Vernie Vernice Cooglin, who was a friend of mine in Memphis, Tennessee. And I met Erwin Schiff and I and, and, and I read his books exposing the fraud of the income tax system and realized that there was no law that actually requires you to pay taxes and, and that they, they're just using tricky language to make it seem like you're liable because it just says if you are liable and then they don't actually define, you know, who is liable. And so I went through everything, you know, in his, in his essentially, you know, workshop to be able to go to my employer and say, I want you to quit withholding taxes from me, uh, which they did. But they spent $40,000 in 1993 dollars. OK, well, I don't know what the equivalent of that would be, but it's got to be over like 100K researching this. And the law firm, and I, and I only know this because I worked for my best friend's dad at the time, and his mom told me the backstory, but like the law firm came back to them and said, uh, you're not going to believe this. Um, we thought this kid was crazy, but he's he's actually right. There is no law that requires you to pay income taxes. And so uh, so that was number one. Number two, my friend, Vernie Bernice um was a captain at Federal Express. And at one time, uh, they had not withheld over a quarter of a million dollars in taxes from her salary over X number of years. So the IRS took her to court. And if you uh, search engine her name, uh, Vernie Kuglin, K-U-G-L-I-N, Number one uh, thing is a New York Times article on how she beat the IRS in court. She actually won in court against the IRS because there's no law that says that, you know, you're required to pay income taxes. And so that's a very, you know, personal story that I just kind of wanted to share just to back up what you were saying. And I thought your you know, your audience might find it of some interest. But my understanding is there's about 60 to 70 million people that are not paying taxes in the United States. Um, to your point about, you know, half of the country is onto this and half of the country isn't. So you've got half of the country that has figured out that the government and the media are lying to them. They may not have all of the facts. They may not understand it to the degree that, that we understand it, you know, being scholars of it for 20 plus years, but they just intrinsically understand that the government and the media is lying to them. They're turning off television they're turning off cnn and droves Uh, they're not even turning on cnn plus you know complete failures and so the so the propaganda system is to some degree you know uh, falling apart but you've got half the country that has figured out that the government and the media are lying and you've got half the country that hasn't and you can tell who is who by who's wearing a mask
0: (laughs) i know right that's great! Isn't that amazing? Can I great. can I say one recommendation to our audience too with Erwin Schiff? I highly recommend the Aaron Russo's movie "America from Freedom to Fascism," yeah. where they feature him. That I remember watching that when that came out in 2006. And Bear and I, that's how long we've been talking about <laughs> Bear and I were talking about it, and I was trying to actually connect with Aaron. Remember Bear and um and unfortunately, shortly after that movie came out, he quickly. Uh, came down with, I believe, cancer and died, you know, after that Alex Jones, famous Alex Jones interview, but Irwin's heavily featured, I believe, in that film. And that, if you have a normie that still doesn't believe this, send him that film, you guys, because that film will blow your socks off. It is such; It was so well done. So I just wanted to say that.
1: And in that same film, the present IRS commissioner back then stated on camera that we have a great tax system, of uh, uh, the best voluntary uh, compliance tax system, because we scare the, the hell out of people and uh, that's where we're at and it uh, just one last thing it might interest people that nobody ever goes to jail for not paying taxes they go to jail for breach of contract for
2: lying on the form exactly they they cuz they lie. Yep. that's the reason they go to jail they lie on the form they misrepresent <laughs> their income and then they sign under penalty of of perjury that they're you know that this is how much income they made and then they go to jail because they yep. have contracted with the government voluntarily and now incriminated. Yeah. Themselves. It makes and, you wonder if poor. Wesley
0: Wesley Snipes was set up for that, you know, because supposedly he had the big case and he right wasn't he supposed to go to jail or something? No, they set
2: up somebody every year. So yeah, yeah. You, you just watch every year kind of like March, they'll burn somebody I, famous, you know, literally I know publicly. a little
1: I know a little backstory on that one. Uh oh, yeah. <laughs> there were some tax anti-tax gurus who are actually controlled opposition government operatives. And they were out teaching seminars back then. And I was very much aware of them. They got a hold of Wesley Snipes and uh really got uh, him convinced, you know, of a lot of truth, but then they also deliberately, uh, led him down the wrong path so that he was a sitting duck and that's what happened. And that's what they do. They have a lot of agents out there that tell you some truth, but then, uh, you know, give you just enough to get you in hot water. And then somebody of a high profile goes down and it scares everybody else, uh, mm-hmm. off from trying to anything, uh, you know, similar.
2: So complete criminality. Um, I yeah. wanted to kind of shift uh, topics, and I'd like to just kind of take y'all through my executive summary of the executive summary of the scam of the cooties. And so wow. I'm going Perfect. to. Yeah, I'm going to use the code word since we're on uh, CIA, uh, you know YouTube, uh, but you know essentially the Cooties has been a scam. It's quite possibly the second biggest scam in history after the scam of government itself, which is the scam that made the scam of the Cooties possible through the hierarchical control of health information. Through the regulatory capture of the World Health Organization, the National Institute of Health, the CDC, the American Medical Association, NAID, on the academia side, and the ability to control perception using the monopolized media system. And so the Cooties was a multi-trillion dollar robbery and eugenics program engineered by the same intergenerational organized crime system of fractional reserve banks and government media puppets that we outlined in the previous four editions of Government, the Biggest Scam in History, exposed. The short version is that intergenerational organized crime spent billions to steal trillions. The COVID was, sorry, the cooties was the engineered, manufactured (laughs) reason for trillions of dollars in quote-unquote bailouts, stimulus, and we believe the manufactured and engineered reason for the Federal Reserve to prop up the crooked Ponzi scheme U.S. Treasury market, which they did to the tune of $80 billion a day at one point in 2020 under emergency cootie powers. Uh, The (laughs) cooties allowed the organized crime participants to engage in disaster capitalism by profiting from their foreknowledge to buy, short-sale, and hedge specific stocks and investments. They were able to wage economic warfare against free market businesses with forced closures and chain stores and chain restaurants so the population doesn't have independent wealth and resources to resist the economic and medical martial law tactics being waged against them. It's to force the population to accept harmful injections, vaccine passports, and other biosecurity state measures, and what appears to be a negative eugenics program to call the elderly and extend the organized crime government's other Ponzi scheme, social security. And how did the uh, magicians pull off the trick? Regulatory capture of government health experts in multiple countries, especially U.S., China, and Italy and the CDC, NIAID, and World Health Organization that declared a public health emergency of international concern with a small handful of respiratory illnesses in a country of over a billion people. people. It was media fakery on a small handful of hospitals, notably Elmhurst in Queens, New York, where the criminals engineered apparent pandemic conditions and medical simulations for news cameras, where televised crowds waiting to get into the hospital were gone next day. Uh, They used a faulty test, the PCR, designed to give false positives, even though the Nobel Prize winning inventor said publicly it should never be used to diagnose a disease. They passed over $100 billion in incentive payments through the CARES Act, to doctors and hospitals to classify patients have as cooties and then paid them bonuses for using treatments guaranteed to produce death and disease, notably ventilators and remdesivir, and they coordinated the response of a thousand plus corporations, government officials, NGOs, and nonprofits through the World Health uh, uh, World Economic Forum. And that those thousand plus corporations, government officials, NGOs, nonprofits, that is the companies that they have been able to buy up and monopolize through the money stolen through fractional reserve banking. And I'm going to give one example just to understand the power of fractional reserve banking. Let's say I have a dollar and you have a dollar and we have the only two dollars in the world. OK, so I own 50 percent of the world's wealth and you, dear listener, you own 50 percent of the world's wealth. If a bank or a central bank comes along and uh, creates two more dollars out of thin air using either fractional reserve banking or quantitative easing, all of a sudden now the bank owns 50 percent of the world, world's wealth. And now you and I have been reduced to 25 percent of the world's wealth. And that is essentially how the scam is being worked. They're buying up the world with their little paper tickets and the companies and the organizations and the quote unquote nonprofits and foundations, they are being coordinated through the World Economic Forum that is giving them secure meeting facilities, regular meetings. They're they're, uh, penetrating the cabinets. Of, of governments with their young global leaders and that is that is essentially the executive summary of the executive mm. summary the final analogy is imagine we're all playing monopoly and the banker is cheating and he's pulling 500 bills out of the bank at the end of the game who owns everything on the board and who are renters and debtors and that's what we're up against Uh, in a nutshell.
1: Yeah. And one little addendum to that is, of course, you know, money is created by uh, concurrent creation of a debt. There is no money in existence. So when we go in and get that alleged loan, then they print that amount of money to cover the alleged loan Mm -hmm. that they never loan. And furthermore, they only print enough money to cover the principle and not the interest and that's uh you know how it goes on the public side of course on their side they print as much as they want and you know to buy up everything but um whenever the music stops that means the less industrious resourceful people will not be able to pay back the full loan which is manufactured homelessness and part of the massive genocide program that we're now witnessing as uh, those people more and more every day hit the streets get drugged and and on and on so um that's what we're seeing that's why homelessness
0: And 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 can I say yes. one more thing too? What's mind-boggling about what you're about this, Etienne, is that the Crown Cooties has definitely shown us that global government is here. Because I still get baffled when I watch like random videos on YouTube of like a of a track meet or something in South America, and everyone's got masks on. Mm-hmm. Like this is It's not like it's just the U.S. or the NATO countries. This is global. So it's one thing it's really illustrated to us. It's here. Would you uh, that was gonna be my next question. Is global government here? is the one world order here?
2: Uh, it's being it's being implemented currently and there's aspects of it that you know are, are 100% globally governed through the World Health Organization, which if you think about it, And again, it's what I, you know, what I call the, you know, control of government media and academia is the ability for the World Health Organization to reach down hierarchically through multiple, multiple, multiple governments uh, on on the federal level, okay, in multiple, multiple countries, and then have those policies pushed down to the, through the state health department's the local health departments, the county health departments in town and cities—it's that hierarchical control of medical information globally that has been able to produce the, you know, the the quote-unquote, you know, pandemic that we were we experienced, even though it wasn't a pandemic, even though the hospitals were empty, even though it wasn't going on in countries that weren't participating. I saw funny. Uh, you know, meme the other day that had an Amish guy going, "Covid, Covid." Uh, no, we we don't have television.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: exactly. Uh, what we are going to see, though, and what we're already seeing, is the folks that did succumb to the roll up your sleeve,r um, you know, are really starting to feel the repercussions of that. So. Um, Obviously, they'll turn that into an excuse to state there's uh, another pandemic underway. But, um, you know, after practicing for so many years, I was able to, uh, again, draw that connection between things I was seeing symptomatically in people and then link them to roll up your sleevers back in the day, you know, for, you know, just the typical ones that, you know, everybody gets. And then we were able to do the analytics and see how uh, certain roll up your sleevers uh, created certain conditions and had certain incubation periods. And when you saw that population that got that, you know, right at the end of the incubation period, you had a huge spike in that particular malady. And now we're already seeing the carnage come in with this last batch of roll up your sleevers. And um, it's going to be so off the charts. Uh, I really believe there's going to be, you know, well in excess of a million, a billion to 2 billion people that are going to be succumbing to this very soon. Um, so, uh, that's going to be interesting to see how that, uh, how that one plays out, especially when people start connecting the dots and start acting out it, who knows, it might even work in our favor and be a unifying factor where, uh, you know, it's a harsh wake up call, but when people realize they've been deceived on that level, it might actually bring a bunch of us together that normally wouldn't have.
2: You know, so that's an excellent segue into uh, into eugenics. And Mike, is it okay mm-hmm. if I share my screen?
0: Yeah, let me give you the opportunity to do that. Okay, go ahead.
2: So, um, so for for your audience that are not familiar with uh, with eugenics, uh, eugenics is a kind of uh, pseudoscience that uh, that it's the belief that one. Or a group of people can improve humanity by selective breeding to develop positive traits like intelligence. So, you know, wanting your, your intelligent son to marry an intelligent woman so that you have intelligent kids, that's called positive eugenics. But there's another darker aspect to eugenics called negative eugenics that focuses on eliminating either undesirable traits through marriage restrictions, segregation, sexual sterilization. In its most extreme form, uh, euthanasia or even murdering and killing those that eugenicists consider undesirable. In an attempt to de- decrease the procreation among the unfit, uh, eugenicists in the early uh, 20th century passed laws prohibiting marriage to people with diseases or other conditions believed to be hereditary. Uh, and they also banned uh, misgeneration, a negative view of marriage between people of different races. And, uh, and this picture that I'm showing so, so this. This, this eugenics was a, was very, it's hard to explain how popular this was in the early 20th century. Uh, but essentially through funding by primarily the Rockefeller Foundation, the Rockefeller family, the Carnegie family, and other very, very wealthy uh, industrialists and monopolists of the day, Uh, The government in the early 20th century was actually sterilizing women because they were quote unquote feeble minded or they were sterilizing convicts. Uh, they were, you know, there is, a, you know, there is a, a uh, and it's a very small percentage of the population that believes in this, you know, craziness. And by the way, the, uh, the fact that they want to eliminate uh, a significant portion of the population is very convenient if the population is having an awakening to who has robbed the bank and it's starting to point at the bankers and the political puppets and the media and going, they're all in on it together. This is how they do it. And so the, so the, uh, so the, the, the science and religion that allows them to convince people that we've got to get rid of lots and lots and lots of the inhabitants on the earth uh, benefits them as a criminal organization because you're getting, you know, gives you the ability to get rid of your, your critics. Uh, but that eugenics is, uh, you know, is well-known, well-documented in, in history, and, uh, and um, uh, it went underground in the 1930s once the eugenics policies of the Nazis became widely known, the experimentation on twins, the experimentation on human beings, the, you know, uh, 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 getting, you know, getting rid of Jews and other undesirable elements, things like that. Uh, That became that. So the, the, the horror of that drove it underground, but it never, never went away. It just got renamed bioethics. And the American, uh, the American Eugenics Society um, uh, spun off Planned Parenthood, okay? And Planned Parenthood is the kind of somewhat, among some people, socially acceptable, you know, voluntary eugenics. We're going to make free abortions available so that we can get rid of these undesirables in society by, by killing them. And so uh, Planned Parenthood is essentially the most visible part of what has been an ongoing program uh, to cull who these believe to be, you know, undesirables. Uh, Margaret Sanger, the founder of, one of the founders of uh, Planned Parenthood famously said that we needed to get rid of undesirable like weeds and that uh, she wrote in a letter to a friend how that they were Uh, You know, they were uh, that they didn't want anybody to know that they were out to exterminate the Negro. Uh, So that's a very famous quote. And so the picture that I'm sharing right now is a picture that was taken in 2001. And in 2001, our boy, little Anthony Fauci is sitting right there with six billionaires who are the primary funders of eugenics in the United States today. And so, uh, so I'm just going to take you through some of the people that we've got Anthony Fauci pictured in the same room with, uh, but uh, uh, number one, Andrew Carnegie. And so the, so the, so the event that they, that this picture was taken at was the Andrew Carnegie medals of philanthropy award ceremony in New York city on December 10th, 2001. And so some of the, so right off the bat, the, uh, Andrew Carnegie and the Carnegie Foundation. Um, with Skull and Bones member Daniel Coit Gilman as president financed the establishment of biological experimentation experiment station related to eugenics at Cold Springs Harbor, New York. And in 1910, the eugenics records office was begun there, later receiving funding from the Rockefeller Foundation after John D. Rockefeller Jr. formed the Bureau of Social Hygiene. And so so the organization that has brought these people together is, is literally, you know, probably one of the two main founders. So it was Carnegie and Rockefeller. And so uh, David Rockefeller is also in the picture and his family funded the Wilhelm Kaiser Institute in Germany, which was the basic basis for the Nazi eugenics and racial hygiene policies of the, of the Nazi government. He funded the, U- the eugenics records office at cold Springs Harbor that exists today. And he, he has been one of the major funders of planned parenthood in the United States. And interestingly, in tw- in two, in, 2010, the Rockefeller foundation published a document called scenarios for future technology and international development that outlined a future scenario that they called lockstep where the world would be locked down because of an influenza virus that jumped from animals to humans in China, requiring masks, temperature checks, and biometric IDs. And so he's, he's in the picture, uh, as is, uh, Bill Gates senior. We got Bill Gates senior right here. This is the father of, of Bill Gates, who is essentially the number one uh, behind the cooties today. And a lot of people don't realize, but Bill Gates senior was a board of director member of Planned Parenthood, which was birthed out of the American eugenic society. Oh, here, here it is. Here's the exact quote from Margaret Sanger. She wrote to a friend. We do not want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. Um, also, who else we got in the picture? Oh, look, we got Ted Turner. Who? Ted Turner is uh, quoted in 1996 saying a total population of 250 to 300 million people A 95% decline from present levels would be ideal. And he is also widely believed to be behind the Georgia Guidestones, which is a Stonehenge-like monument with eugenicist principles translated in eight languages uh, in a field in Georgia. And Turner is also an organized crime propagandist behind CNN and the deceptions and distractions of, of, of cable television. Who else we got? Oh, look, we got George Soros. George Soros is there with Fauci. And George Soros is a major investor in Monsanto. And he's been linked to a uh, government hospital in Sierra Leone that had a US biosecurity level two bioweapons research lab that was also linked to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, where they were experimenting on Ebola. Okay. And we've got Irene Diamond, the chair of the Aaron Diamond AIDS Research Center. Which is, which is officially affiliated with Rockefeller University and happens to run its own level three biosafety facility. And those are just the ones in the picture. Now, they're not the only, because this picture was taken 20 years ago. Um, let's take a look at the modern participants and let's see if any of them have any you know connections to eugenics. And what do we find? We find, well, obviously Bill and Melinda Gates uh, the former chairman Microsoft and the co-chair of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation are the world's top funders of eugenics with major gifts to Planned Parenthood and Cold Springs Harbor and other major eugenics uh, operations, the World Population Council that exists today. Um, also, there was a gentleman by the name of Bill Ackman. And Bill Ackman is a billionaire hedge fund manager, a member of the Council on Foreign Relations and the Bilderberg Group, and really one of the first voices on Wall Street to publicly go on television, okay, and very vocally call for a shutdown of the American economy, where he was pre positioned to profit from shutting down mom and pop restaurants, coffee shops, and hotels with investments in a company called Restaurant Brands International, which runs 26,000 Popeyes, Burger Kings, and Tim Hortons. Uh, He had investments in Starbucks and Hilton Hotels. So he's essentially going on television advocating that mom-and-pop restaurants, um, hotel chains, and coffee shops be shut down while he is personally invested in the chain stores, the chain hotels, the chain uh, you know, uh, restaurants that are financed to be able to weather the storm after their competition is put out of business by the policy that he's going on television and advocating. And also, he very famously um, uh, apparently had foreknowledge of the COVID-induced 2020 stock market crash because he hedged his hedge fund pershing capital uh, pershing square's portfolio uh, he essentially made 20 he bet 27 million buying credit protection generating 2.6 billion dollars in profit so when the stock market crashed he was hedged to make 2.6 billion dollars almost as he as if he knew it was going to happen. And he is also a major donor to eugenics with major donations. 10 million dollars a good to month. 10 million dollars to Cold Springs Harbor, millions of dollars to Planned Parenthood. And then we've got uh, a woman named Dr. Lee Anna Wynn. And Dr. Le- Leanna Nguyen is a former president of Planned Parenthood. She's a Rhodes Scholar. She's a member on the Council on Foreign Relations and the World Economic Forum. And she is being used by the mainstream media as an authoritative pro vaccination voice that is out there smearing anti vaxxers. And so she is on, you know, she was one of the, you know, so the, so if you're controlling perception, you've got to have crisis actors and you've got to have the mockingbird media that are out there, you know, talking your talking points. And so this is one of the, the, the quote unquote doctors that have been featured prominently on a gazillion, you know, television shows and podcasts and things like that. Uh, t- talking that the, that the cooties is a real thing and the need for everybody to roll up your sleeve and be injected with this, this obvious bioweapon. And so these are just a few of the people that are, connect- that are behind the cooties, that are pushing the cooties, that are pushing this vaccine, uh, quote unquote vaccine. And so there's an amazing, amazing overlap between the eugenics movement and the people that are profiting from the cooties and the people that are uh, involved in the media campaign to convince the population that there is something called cooties and that they need to go get this shot, which has been linked uh, through the VAERS database in the United States to 27,000 plus deaths in the United States and through the UDRA vigilance database in, in, in the European Union, uh, which covers 22 countries, the European Union, where it has been linked to over 46,000 deaths. Both of these systems are passive systems. There's, there was a major study that was done by uh, Harvard Medical School uh, called the Harvard Pilgrim Study, where they found that, that the VAERS, the Vaccine Adverse Effect Reporting System, only really captured about 1%, about 1% of actual deaths and adverse events. So when theirs says that they have twenty-seven thousand uh, deaths, uh, you know, from from the COVID quote the cooties quote unquote vaccines, you can multiply that number by one hundred, and you get two point seven million deaths. Now these deaths in, in, in the overwhelming majority cases are elderly, and it's being attributed not to the to the shot, it's being attributed to, you know, something something different. So they're not being recorded in VARES. Now, why aren't they being in, recorded in VERS? There's a lot of different reasons, but one of the main reasons or a, a couple of the main reasons are number one, everybody is being told that the vaccines are safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective. So when somebody does have an adverse effect, uh, they don't necessarily tie that Mentally to the injection that they may have got three days ago, a week ago, or a month ago, but also um, the doctor has no incentive whatsoever to, you know, uh, re, you know self-report on himself or to take uh, responsibility for the, you know, the death or the disease that he just caused by recommending or participating in this, uh, in this injection campaign and then finally the when the harvard pilgrim study was done that study was done using the childhood immunization program where the majority of people actually had an ongoing relationship with their doctor so if something you know happened to their kid they would go right back into the doctor's office and then the doctor is like oh okay uh, you know it looks like we had one of these very quote unquote rare you know, things, and they, you know, they report it to VARES, but that's not what's going on with this injection campaign. These injections are being given by CVSs and Walgreens and pop-up, you know, uh, injection sites and drive-up injection sites where there is no ongoing relationship with the healthcare provider to be able to go back and to enter that information into VARES. And so, so uh, back then it was, you know, they were only capturing, you know, one in a hundred, deaths or adverse offense. I actually think it's probably more because there's no ongoing relationship with the, with the healthcare provider that gave you the injection in the first place. And so we're talking about, even if you, even if you believe the official number of 27,000, uh, deaths, um, that is a, that's an enormous, enormous death toll that you know to, to put it into perspective when they had the, the swine flu mass vaccination campaign which was also a scam which was also diverting money to you know big pharma drug companies etc they stopped that program with less than 50 deaths and so when 50 deaths occurred they're like whoa 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 50 deaths we're at 27,000 acknowledged that is most likely 2.7 million We're talking about a whole scale genocide. If this is not a eugenics program, I don't know what else, you know, what else you could call it.
1: Yeah. And those numbers are actually um, very conservative and it's not at all acknowledging um, the plausible deniability that they'll have, you know, when people months after getting these things are getting sick. Uh, They aren't even acknowledging that it's kind of strange for grade schoolers to be getting heart attacks for athletes in the prime of life, you know, to be having all these strokes and heart attacks. And in my career, I saw a good number of damaged kids from these things. And this was, of course, the pre area era where we thought that, you know, well, I never believed it, but a lot of people just thought these things actually prevent disease. Not one of them in history was ever meant, uh, nor did it prevent disease. Mm-hmm. But when they would come to me with their kid that was obviously damaged for life, Just hours or days after getting one of these things, even though they had their primary health care provider and they didn't get it at Rexall back in those days, the primary health care provider would still deny it and say there would be no possible connection. So, um, you know, don't look for the regular doctors to do the right thing and admit there might be a nexus
0: either. Myocarditis, the new normal.
2: Yes. Yeah. And now now you're seeing it being a, an attempt to make myocarditis be normalized uh, with television commercials and news stories and things like that. And so this is exactly the control perception program that I'm talking about, where if you're able to control the information that people receive through this monopolized media or the algorithmic censorship of the Internet, Uh, Human beings are essentially supercomputers and like a computer, you know, garbage in, garbage out. And so if you're controlling the information that the human mind receives, then you're able to a certain degree to, you know, to get that person to believe uh, a certain worldview or a certain outcome if they don't understand how the big game is played.
0: Yeah, look at this. This is, uh, can I show this real quick?
2: Do you guys see this? Yeah. Uh,
0: Eugenics. uh, This is eugenics 101. This is the, um, basically the projection. So uh, of deaths per 1000 people. Um, See how it was going down since 1950. And this is in the US. So for those listening, we're looking at a chart on macrotrends.net where it's showing uh, deaths per1,000 people and we've had this trend going down of course, which you think would be you know due to you know better uh, modern um, you know uh, system set around for cleanliness and um, you know just what we talk about in terms of health. Uh, but then when we hit uh, right around now, well let's see this was in 2012, 2014 it starts going up and now they they project this as just skyrocketing up for the next 20, 25, 50 years as their eugenics program gets initiated so that I just saw was looking this up and thought that was really interesting that the UN projections show um, way above 1950s levels of deaths per 1000 uh, people as this trending up, 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 up.
2: And so I and think we're in the middle use- of the eugenics operation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, it's,
1: they- and it's not just the roll up your sleevers. It's the other things that work in conjunction with them. For instance, the microwaves I've seen more than enough evidence to see that they interact uh, the microwaves that we're all exposed to now interact with what's in people's bloodstream to hasten uh, you know, w- the results of the, uh, you know, all the bad side effects. Uh, Also, of course, with their spraying in the air and, uh, you know, you put all that together and, uh, when you know a little bit of uh, chemistry and understand what they're doing, they're all part of a larger cocktail. And when it finds its way to your bloodstream, of course, the people that get the roll up your sleeve are at much, much greater risk because they're, you know, on the fast track. But even for the rest of us, uh, the things that we're breathing and then getting exposed to, especially with the microwave, you know, the shortwave technology, uh, you know, it's all Uh, I mean, it's a brilliant plan if you want to kill a lot of people and then uh, also have people ask for the very thing that's killing them. And I think somebody from the Communist Party back in the uh, 50s and 60s told us that that's what they would be doing.
2: By the way, so communism is government 2.0. And so one of the things that, that, uh, that I find interesting is that communism was funded by Wall Street. So there's a great book uh, by Anthony Sutton called Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution, where he breaks down uh, Wall Street's, you know, funding of communism. And so why would Wall Street, quote unquote, capitalist fund communism? Well, it doesn't make sense unless you look at it through the lens of what I call organized crime theory, which is that government has always been illegitimate. It can never you can never have a legitimate government. It's always been used to rob and control populations. And so if you're using, you know, kind of government, uh, you know, 1.5 in the United States to rob and control the population, but it's, it's problematic, you know, we've got a, you supposedly got a bill of rights, we supposedly have the ability, you know, we got the ability to be armed, the population, be, you know, believes that they're free, et cetera. Well, that's not in the interests of the organized crime system. And so I think the organized crime system developed government 2.0, where we've got this other version of government where you don't have any private property and you don't have any gun ownership and you don't have any bill of rights and you don't have anything like that. And so they're trying to shift the population globally into government 2.0 so that they can be robbed and mulked without, you know, the pretense of having any rights or without, you know, the pretense of having guns. And so that's essentially, uh, you know, uh, the lens that makes sense of everything that is going on today.
1: And we're being told that we will like it.
0: <laughs>
2: and will own, own nothing. nothing and you will like it.
0: Uh, so obviously, I think this is a good time to move into solutions because you have them at TN. And I, I want to touch on what's going on in is it New Hampshire Right. Um, mm-hmm. And this amazing movement that's happening in there. And of course, here in Alpha Vedic, as Bear, um already described is we're building parallel systems uh, mm-hmm. as a solution. Right. And it's all a lot of its focused on decentralization. It's it's focused on this like sort of agorist mentality of working in your community and getting away from um, the entire scam of corporate government i um, interested to hear your take on solutions and what you're involved with, because I think people are extremely hungry for it. Um, we've, we've really shown the problem uh, well here. We've illustrated it well. And also, uh, on top of that, uh, an interesting statement earlier in the chat was someone was saying, okay, if I was to try to, if we were to try to implement some sort of voluntarious Uh, society on my Caribbean island, it would turn into complete and total chaos, we need government to maintain stability. Mm -hmm. So I would love to touch on that very common thread of, um, you know, that usually comes up when we start getting into anarchy, voluntarism, etc. But first and foremost, I would love to hear your take on uh, um, what you guys are doing in New Hampshire and the solutions that you're engaging with.
2: So yeah, so a couple, uh, I've got a couple of different solutions that I'm that I'm working on. Number one is something called the Thick Red Line Project, where we're educating the police on natural law, and we're suggesting to the police that they, uh, you know, if they don't want to go along with the tyranny of mask mandates and lockdowns and red flag laws and other, you know, government tyranny, that they need to get together. And they need to draw a thick red line in the sand. And they need to say, we're not going to use violence on, on peaceful people for politicians. And so right now, uh, you know, there's man's law uh, or government law, which I like to call politician scribbles, which is crazy illogical. A lot of times it doesn't make any sense. It's counterintuitive, you know, uh, and uh, it's, it's really, uh, you know, if you if you go by government law, you get you know, fugitive slave laws, you get sundowner laws, you get um, uh, Nazi Germany, right? All of those were, were, were tyrannies where they, you know, they, they said, oh, it's okay for the police to use violence on peaceful people to impose government policies. And, you know, what you end up getting is you get Nazi Germany. And so we're suggesting that the police draw a thick red line in the sand and say, Use natural law as the denominator of morality, which it is. And so in natural law, there's five main transgressions. There is murder, rape, theft, assault, and trespass. And all of these are obviously wrong because there is a victim. And they're all thefts. So rape is the theft of sexual choice. Trespass is the theft of security in your lair. Murder is the theft of life. And so, so that, that's something that almost all of society can agree on. And if you draw the line at natural law, it's easy. You don't need these you know, thousands of law books or whatever was there a victim or was there not a victim? And if there's not a victim, then the police should stand down and not use violence on peaceful people for politicians. Now, uh, if you're not going to use natural law, then my question to the police and the sheriffs is, well, what is your standard? What is, if you're, you know, if you're not going to use natural law with, with its thousand year plus, you know, legal tradition across multiple civilizations that anybody can understand that's, you know, that's, that's e- you know, easy to, you know, get, then what is your standard going to be? And they just look at you like dumbfounded. And so we're at number one, we're educating them on natural law. And also, by the way, when police violate natural law, that makes them the criminals. When you're using violence on peaceful people for, for politicians, that makes you the bad man. And so, so a lot of police, you know, they didn't sign up for this, you know, there wasn't red flag laws, there weren't mask mandates, there weren't lockdowns when they signed up for this. And so now they're all going, you know, now I'm the bad man, my community hates me. I'm, you know, like I I show up places, people laugh at me and, you know, things like that. And so number one, taking a thick red line stand would, would absolutely restore respect for the police. Because when the police are going after real criminals, rapists and murderers and and, and things like that, well, everybody loves the police. It's only when they violate natural law and use violence on peaceful people for politicians and engage, you know, turn every traffic stop into a, you know, a commando raid and search everybody's car looking for a, you know, drug payday and everything like that. That's why people hate the cops. That's what makes them scumbags in the community. They're robbing their neighbors. They're literally raising revenue on their neighbors for politicians and everybody hates them. So what we do is we, the Thick Red Line Project, build support for the police to say no to the politicians by building community support. We're telling you not to, we're telling you to say no. We're telling you not to enforce these crimes because we want you to be on the right side of history. We want you to be on the right side of karma. And so that's one solution. The other solution is Um, I believe, to widely expose the illegitimacy and criminality of government in a single U.S. state. And so for your audience that is not familiar with what's going on in New Hampshire, there is something called the Free State Project uh, that got started almost two decades ago. And people said, you know, there's a lot of uh, voluntarists and a lot of libertarians and And uh, freedom advocates, but we're all scattered all over the United States. Maybe if we just concentrated in a single U.S. state that had a small population under 1.5 million, well, maybe if we concentrated, then we could roll it back, win electorally, and, and begin, you know, uh, limit government to just protecting life, liberty, and property. And so in 2002, they had a, a beauty contest where they really like said, okay, like what, you know, how would we really do it? Which of the states is under 1.5 million? Which one is the easiest to take over? And so they had a kind of bake-off and it came down to between New Hampshire and Wyoming and New Hampshire won. And so the deal was, is that, uh, participants signed a statement of intent saying that they figured out that it would take about 20,000 dedicated activists to affect change in a in a state that has a sub 1.5 million population New Hampshire has 1.3 million uh, uh, to give you an idea of, of, of how many people are in there. And so they said, okay, well, once the total, everybody signs a statement of intent and once the total membership of the group hits 20,000, everybody moves to that state, okay? And so uh, once they chose New Hampshire in 2003, uh, boom, people started moving there immediately even though they didn't have to move until the total membership of the group hit, uh, you know, hit 20,000. And they began uh, getting organized politically, rolling back laws, creating the social and political networks, uh, you know, uh, uh, for, for political change, they hit 20,000 signers, people that said, Hey, I'll move when the group hits, uh, you know, 20,000 in, 2019, uh, 2016, 2016. They hit it in 2016, triggering the move. And right now, there's over 6,200 members of the Free State Project in New Hampshire that New Hampshire knows about. There's also people there that don't want to be, you know, on a list. And there's another 19,000 that have committed to move, but a lot of them aren't going to move. They signed before they knew it was going to be New Hampshire, or they died, or they got divorced, or they got married, or, you know, whatever it is prohibits them from moving. But that dynamic right now is every single week, more and more people land in the state of New Hampshire, and they are winning on the ground. They've elected 25, they've got 25 members of the, uh, you know, that are uh, elected representatives in New Hampshire. They have another hundred that essentially vote with them on liberty issues, even though they're, they're not, you know, uh, they're not, uh, you know, members of the Free State Project, but there's a liberty block in New Hampshire. New Hampshire doesn't have an income tax. New Hampshire doesn't have a sales tax, uh, and they, they, it does have a business proceed tax, but the Free Staters, have uh, gone to the legislature and passed a law that allows you to take some of that business proceed tax and put it to a scholarship fund that can be used to get your kids out of the government school system and can even be used for homeschooling. And so there is a liberty revolution going on in New Hampshire that is ultimately going to win. And New Hampshire is probably going to be the first state to secede from the United States because of of what's going on in the Free State Project. And so in my previous job, I used to be a uh, productivity consultant for Fortune 500, 100 companies. And so I put on my Productivity hat. And I'm like, well, how would you accelerate the goals of the Free State Project? And I came up with something called the Pre State Project. And a Pre Stater in New Hampshire is somebody that already lives in New Hampshire, but supports the goals of the Free State Project. So they didn't necessarily move there. Uh, they already live there, but they're libertarian or voluntarist, and they're 100% on board. And so that's really the fastest way to to you know to take over the state is with the people that are already in the state. And so uh, if you if you're if you're if the if we're suffering under a uh, a monopolized media. And we're suffering under this control information system, then how do you get around it? And so what my goal is, is to is to raise a million bucks to drop 100,000 copies of the book, 100,000 of these credit card size flash drives that we call the liberator. So I'm holding one up for the, for the audience at home. But essentially, it's a little credit card that has a USB prong that flips out and allows you to, uh, you know, stick it into, you know, any PC or that has a USB thing. And you've got um, 32 gigabytes of documentaries, books, uh, you know, memes, uh, truth music, uh, short videos, you name it, exposing the criminality and the illegitimacy of the government. And so, uh, and a documentary, and that amount, one million bucks, would also uh, would also uh, include thirty six town hall meetings in twelve different communities in New Hampshire. And so, if you want to get around the algorithmic censorship of the media, if you want to get around the monopolization of the media, it's going to have to be essentially a sneaker net. You know, brute force attack, uncensorable, we just go door to door, dropping off a easy to understand picture book, explaining the whole thing with all of the evidence backed up on a drive that cannot be censored on the DARPA internet, algorithmically or otherwise. And so, so that, is the only, that is the number one way that I think that we could win is just get around the monopolization and algorithmic censorship. You go door to door, you drop cop- copies of government and the COVID, the biggest scams in history. P- now you've got, uh, you, you target the influential in the state. So you, you, know, you mentioned uh, that I worked at one of the big four think tanks in Washington, DC. And one of the key things that I learned in that time is that you don't have to win everybody to achieve social change. There's about 10, 15% of society that really, really matters. They are the free thinkers that are listening to this show right now. They are the entrepreneurs. They are the, the, uh, the business executives. They are the content creators. They are the professoriate. They are the teachers. They are the people that have the ability to influence others. And so using modern demographics, you can target that group within the state, and then everybody left over, you just go after uh, demographically the parents of high school seniors. So then if you drop 100,000 copies across the state, you're actually hitting 300,000 voters in a single, you know, campaign that would be staggered because you drive people to in-person meetings where you'd answer all their questions. Hey, I got my whole block is talking about the fact that we got this book and this flash drive and this documentary and what's going on. And, you know, look, my neighbors are here and you answer all their questions. You move them to uh, open source, Uh, encrypted, uncensorable communications, you get them off of the Facebooks and the Twitters and the controlled platforms to trusted open source, you know, platforms, so you can communicate with them in an ongoing message. But we just widely expose the whole thing in a way that cannot be censored by this organized crime system. And I think if we can free a single state, number one, we need to have a redoubt. So uh, uh, Idaho is already kind of a redoubt and uh, and um, uh, New Hampshire is already kind of a redoubt, but we need some place where Liberty folks can go where shave headed order followers have no, uh, you know, have no power. That when the shave ho- the shave-headed order followers come out to try and either raise revenue on their you know neighbors or you know enforce on their you know their neighbors whatever it is they're just outnumbered and outgunned and that uh, they're just laughed at because the people understand an ethically manipulative program that the shave-headed order follower has been put through to give him this worldview where he thinks it's okay to use violence on peaceful people and and you know he's. Been being paid to essentially rate, you know, as to be a gunman for this organized crime system. Well, if enough people in a, in a, in a, you know, geography understand that when order followers show up, they just get laughed at and like, hey man, they made you shave your head. You're in a costume. Uh, do you not understand how it works? Or take this book. And so we're closest globally in New Hampshire. And so I think New Hampshire is the easiest state for the liberty movement to take over, create a redoubt, and also create a laboratory of liberty where we can begin, uh, you know, templating how do you roll it back? How do you roll back government on the local and state level to just protecting life, liberty and property, and then ultimately privatizing the whole thing? Because again, the other big secret of my book is you do not need government. Every single thing the government does that is non-redistributive would be better handled by the free market and mutual aid societies and, and real charities and nonprofits and so I think that New Hampshire could be our laboratory of liberty and the way to win there is to get around this algorithmic censorship of the internet and monopolization of the media just going door to door in a way that can't be stopped. And so I've got an easy to understand picture book that's already been very, very successful in waking people up all over the world. We've sold, co- you know, we're selling copies, 20 plus countries. It's already going viral. And so to give you guys an idea of the virality of the book and I'm going to say 2019, I sold 200 copies and 20, no, sorry, 2018, I sold 200 copies and 2019. No, sorry, 2018, 200, 2020, 800, last year, 3,850 plus. And out of that 3,850 plus over a thousand of those were bought as what we call a friends bundle. So people are buying fives and tens and they're giving them away to their friends and their family. They're donating them to libraries. They're putting them in little mini libraries and and like communities. They're making them coffee table books on Airbnbs. And so that I've already kind of proven the case that the dynamic works now that we've got, you know, now that it's proven and that it's proven viral. Now let's, you know, pour gas all over the fire and in one geographic area, let's widely expose it in a way that can't be covered up by the media. So once New Hampshire secedes or once New Hampshire begins rolling back government Then there's no way for this. So, like New Hampshire seceding, they they say government's criminal and that they're it's illegitimate and they're getting out. And there's you know there's some campaign just dropped you know hundred thousand copies of the book. There's no way to censor that. That's called earned media, and that's the most powerful kind of media that you know that you can have. And so you could spend a million bucks and you could get fifty million in earned media off the whole thing. Um, And so uh, so as a productivity focused technologist and productivity expert, that is the easiest and fastest way with with no, you know, no violence or, you know, required or anything like that to achieve, you know, widely exposing illegitimacy and criminality in a single U S state.
1: that's, that's phenomenal and uh, very encouraging too. And we're for sure going to be promoting uh, your book within our community. Um, you know, you mentioned that you're having some success, uh, you know, even getting people in positions of different councils and things. And um, I I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that. And and I I see, okay, there might be some value with getting, you know, uh, real truthful voices in positions like that, but it still isn't even what we think of as our government. And the only way around it, I think, is just to start forming uh you know get a building and form your own town council and because those are all incorporated they have nothing to do with us they're all privately owned so Mm -hmm. uh would you see any value with you know just trying to get seats within the established corporate power because it's not designed for us it's really none of our business actually
2: so the so i want to be clear that not everybody in new hampshire is a uh, uh a volunteerist um, mm-hmm. there, there are lots of minarchists and constitutional republicans and things like that. And so they believe in the, you know, the gut in the system. I don't believe in voting unless it's defensively. But, the, but, the, but um, there are people in New Hampshire that, own, that are elected officials that do not vote to rob their neighbor. They only vote to roll back laws. They only vote to reduce taxes. They only vote in, 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 in that dynamic. That's something that I could support and get behind. If you're, if you're saying, hey, government is illegitimate. We need to be rolling it back. The government doesn't need to be doing this. That's something that you can get behind um the denominator of morality for a politician is the second that they think they know better what to do with your money than you do and that they vote to rob you to put some you know pet program into place now you're voting to rob your neighbor and redistribute it through this illegitimate crooked you know government system and so the 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 biggest concentration of libertarian and minarchist and constitutional republican you know legislators in the country is in new hampshire and they're already winning in the sense that there's no income tax there's no sales tax there's it's one of the lowest tax burdens in the in the country and guess what they've also got the least poverty in the united states the least amount of children living in poverty they've got uh so so freedom works Uh, it delivers the goods. New Hampshire is an example of what happens when you get rid of the the illegitimate organized crime middleman, then the economy can flourish, and that you can have massive, massive economic growth. And so the way that we're going to, you know, rebuild wealth in this country is we've got to get rid of this organized crime middleman, and then the economy can flourish. And then, you know, we, you know, if we just fix the monetary system, forget the, you know, the the overt taxes and the covert taxes, things like that, if we just fix the monetary system, that alone would cause a tremendous, amount of wealth and a tremendous amount of, you know, your dollar should be buying more and more every single year, absent a crooked monetary system that you you know, the monetary unit of wherever you are should buy more and more as innovations and productivity improvements reduce the costs of manufacturing and distributing the, the luxuries and necessities of life. Um, an example I gave the other day is you know, there, there are constantly, you know, new innovations that are taking the cost out of everything. I was looking at a, a news article uh, you know a couple of months ago about this giant sail that they can put on uh, ocean going freighters. Okay. So it's it can be modified to any you know boat, any freighter, any oil tanker, anything like that. It's just a giant sail. It is computer controlled to like catch the amount of wind. And I think that it reduces like the cost of, a, of an ocean passage by, it was either 20 or 40%. I don't remember, I got I to gotta look back and figure out what the same is. But like that 20 or 40%, you know, cost reduction would be passed on to the customers in a competitive marketplace between people that are like, oh, I just cut you know 40% off of my you know cost of shipping i'm going to you know try and win more market share by passing that along to my customers and so it's those kind of market innovations that should be driving costs lower why are costs going up because they're stealing the value out of everybody's money imagine how wealthy Everybody listening to this would have been if they had, you know, if their dollar was buying more and more and more every single year for the past 20, 30, 40, 50, 70 plus years of their life, we would have more than enough surplus to help the poor, the needy, the disadvantaged. Um, People just don't really understand economics because it is being hidden from them by the mandatory government schools and their ripoff universities, it's literally being the, mar- the the market principles that you know liberty works. If like if people understood that you could get everything you want from the government without the theft and extortion and and you know craziness that that got, and warfare and everything else that government produces, we would have we we we'd have gotten rid of government long ago. People just don't understand because it's being hidden from them.
0: Yeah, we know that technology is inherently deflationary and so with, as things get more and more efficient, costs going down, and yet there seems to be this um, constant uh, race between inflating the dollar and competing with the deflationary technology that surrounds us. I do have a question though, Etienne, uh, well, a couple, it seems like that the strategy in New Hampshire, right, is sort of a bridge, a bridge into voluntarism. So um, dealing with the, the crisis, if you will, that is around us, This is one strategy to kind of get us more towards independent uh, self governance, right? But My question is, too, like, and I was just hanging out with David Avocado Wolf last weekend, and he's talking about the impending civil war that's coming. Mm -hmm. I mean, would this be the start of that if New Hampshire was to try to succeed? And we know if we look back in history, things don't always turn out well when you go against uh, BlackRock and Vanguard, if -hmm. you will, the Council of Nine or whatever you want to call them. Do you foresee that turning into some sort of conflict like we're seeing in Ukraine right now?
2: So now, so I think that they would actually leave it alone, because I think that if they tried to do something either militarily or federal, you know, law enforcement related in the state to try and bring it back into line, that that would just make what was going on, you know, that would just popularize what's going on, i.e. that it's worse, we're seceding because government is illegitimate and it's criminal And here's all of our evidence that it's illegitimate. And here's all of our evidence that it's criminal. And so, you know, we've got, you know, we've got criminality and the media is in on it. And so, so if the state was seceding for those reasons, I don't think that they would want to bring, you know, that they would want to bring focus and attention to why New Hampshire is leaving. And so I think that they would actually, you know, just, you know, uh, you know, um, Uh, uh, Leave it alone. If they did try and do that, well, then the fastest way to expose uh, tyranny is to make the government act like a tyrant. And so then, you know, you've got, you know, if you, let's say you had, you know, a federal law enforcement heading to the state or you had whatever, you know, p- the, the citizens of the state or something like, hey, you, what you guys are doing is wrong. You're using violence on peaceful people. We're, we're, we're peaceful people. We don't want any more part of the system. And you're trying to force us into it. It's organized crime. And so, like, it's just, it, it's it's yeah. a dynamic that's never been tried And I think that if you were to try it, I don't, like, it's a public relations nightmare. There's no way for them to win. There's no way- Well, the only thing I-
0: only thing I would say is they are masters of propaganda using the media, the corporate media. And they know, look what they've done to the anti, you know, jabber or, right. these, you know, and so the, I could see them crafting this really well thought out narrative before they, they come in showing that people in New Hampshire are crazy. They're, yeah, yeah. you know, they're endangering grandma, whatever their thing is. So you are, I think personally, we need a groundswell of awareness across the entire, well, entire plane of existence but um and i'm a i'm a big fan of counties where you have sheriffs backing you up Mm -hmm. right yeah um but you are right we need that groundswell of uh truth through your book and through uh decentralized uh uncensorable media like what we do here and i've been working on a program a, a platform uh well not me but Thousands of people called Cordal, which is a truly the new internet, which is which is a peer-to-peer encrypted, centralized, open-source from the ground up, hardware derived from the ground up system. But we, yeah, I would say we need a groundswell of um, of a great majority of people understanding this before any kind of state can try to succeed just knowing what they're so masterfully good at with media. I mean, they'll put Disney and they'll make movies about New Hampshire showing how crazy yeah. people are there, you know.
2: <laughs> but, but Mike, here's the deal. So to, to be able to have that groundswell you have to widely expose what's going on. So people like, you know, the the people that are wearing the mask, the people that are going getting the jabs, they're having the information controlled to them algorithmically or through the monopolization of the media. And so to be able to widely expose what's going on, you've got to be able to get around that. And the only way that I can think of, if somebody else has got a better idea, then please, you know, uh, etienne at artofliberty.org, email it to me. But the the only cost-effective, guaranteed way to get around that is just to go door-to-door. And drop something off that is compelling, that has all the evidence that, that's backed up by all of the evidence of government criminality in a variety of different formats for different learning preferences. Some people like documentaries, some people like reading books on PDF on their tablets, some people like short videos, some you know, whatever it is. You've got to, we can win everywhere. I agree with you, we can win everywhere, but first we have to win somewhere. And the easiest place on the planet to win is New Hampshire. Okay. Do you want to win in California? Let's win in New Hampshire first. Do you want to win in Israel? Let's win in New Hampshire first. Do you want to win in the UK? Let's win New Hampshire first. Let's win one. Let's widely expose it. Let's get like widely expose how the magician does the trick in a way that most people can understand because they're visual learners and they can see it with their own eyes, okay? And once you do that, um, they're not, you know, it's a revolution that only goes in one direction. Once, like what I've discovered is once people realize either number one, they really get it in their mind, they really get it in their mind that government is it's a it's been a it's been a scam the entire friggin time. There is no way to have a legitimate government there is no way to have a moral government there is you can't do it through coronation you can't through, do it through an election you can't do it through constitutional republicanism. you can't do it through communism. you can't do it at all. You cannot have a moral legitimate government. That's number one and number two, once people realize, that there's a man behind the curtain in the media and the media is, on the whole, the whole media is being played by what the CIA calls the mighty world the ability to play the media and non-government organizations and front groups and things like that, all getting them singing one tune like a, a world. It serves a giant organ where it's got a gazillion different pipes that all can be, you know, stoked to play the exact same tune. Once they realize that there's a, that, that the media and the government are in on it together and that they're lying, et cetera. I just don't know anybody that goes back to believing in government. I've heard Like, I've heard of one person. uh, I've never met them in the wild. There's a story about a woman that was a free state project person that came to New Hampshire and then just went back to being a liberal. Uh, That's the only story that I've ever heard of somebody that once they get it goes back to either shaving their head or wearing a costume or, you know, being a chump because nobody likes to get chumped. Right. So, like, once you realize, oh, they're running game on me with the media and they're weaving the flag into, you know, uh, you know, product placing the flag into all the television shows and making the government the hero and all the television shows and the movies, whether it's, you know, Tom Cruise, the CIA agent or the president of the United States flying fighter jets to protect the world from invading aliens. Once they get it, oh, my God, it's been propaganda and it, like they like nobody's gonna get fooled again and so that revolution is only going in one direction so so how do we kick it off in one single state you just got to go door to door there's no other way to do it and it's cheap so for a million bucks you could hit a hundred thousand homes uh, with a, with a documentary, uh, a, uh, a, a credit card flash drive and a hard copy book that's impossible to put down once you pick it up. And you could have 36 uh, town hall meetings in a dozen different you know cities and states and that you're you're hitting there's only about 800 something thousand voters. so you're hitting 300,000 voters, okay, in a single, you know in a single essential drop for a million bucks and so i you know that to me that's the only way that i can see i've got one other way uh but that's a story for another time uh i've but, got a uh, couple
0: other ideas too we can chat out after
2: yeah yeah um
0: yeah but yeah no so I, um it's a great idea it is i give you i give it up i, I, it, it's,
1: I, I think it's uh, fairly intuitive uh, the way you're going about it um and uh, while we've been talking here, I just bought a couple of your Liberator cards. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm just putting in my credit card right now. Um, yeah, it's it's not that you even have to come up with somebody with a million bucks if each of us just buy a couple of these things. And I'm on uh, in the shopping cart right now at uh, government-scam.com. And I guess uh, how did I got... To that on the artofliberty.org is am i correct
2: uh, it's artofliberty.org or government-scam.com
1: okay the shopping cart took me to uh government-scam.com so uh great i'm looking forward to getting my cards here so any other thing you can tell our audience as far as how they can support you with this because i really want to get on board because i think you're doing amazing things
2: Well, the one thing I wanted to the one thing I wanted to point out is because because Mike had mentioned it earlier, is that, you know, that need to have, uh, you know, uh, your own kind of community center or something, you know, like like, you know, that's that's separate from the government. That's going on in New Hampshire. And it's one of the only places in the country. There's a couple of others, you know, dedicated liberty centers. But right now there are uh there are four dedicated liberty centers that I know of that are being used as kind of homeschooling co-ops and community centers. Uh in Manchester, New Hampshire, there's one called the Quill. Okay, uh that uh is a private social club that has got hundreds and hundreds, there's over a thousand uh, out of the sixty two hundred uh, you know, uh, Free State Project members that live in New Hampshire, all over New Hampshire, uh, over a thousand of them, probably 1,500 or more live in New Hampshire. And they've got a magnificent community center called the Quill uh, that has got, you know, that, that is, uh, that is uh, you know, a center for liberty in that city. There's one called the Praxium, outside of uh, of Dover there's one called the shell kind of outside of, it's uh outside of outside of Portsmouth and there's one in Ware W E A H R E called the warehouse and these are being used at you know so now you've got you know you've got a dedicated space for activists you've got a you've got a uh, Uh, you know, a homeschooling co-op so people can get their kids out of the, you know, government indoctrination centers and be able to, you know, uh, uh, team teach and and cooperatively teach where one parent is teaching biology and another parent is teaching math and things like that. And so that dynamic is already going on. There's four different Liberty Centers in New Hampshire right now. And so that's something to know about. Um, Just to finish up the, uh, like the best ways to, you know, to find up Find out about us are, you know, artofliberty.org and government-scam.com. Uh, I'm in the process of of, uh, of uh, finishing up the fifth edition of the book. I hope to have that up, out by the end of the month. I hope to send it to the printer by the end of the month. Um, it's been a Herculean effort of really trying to understand, you know, how, uh, the scam of the coo- cooties was done to be able to make it simple so that people can understand it and make it visual. And so, I think I'm going to have the first visually compelling overview of how the scam of the COVID was put together, who the suspects are, how they did it, where the money went. And so, so that's what I'm 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 looking on. It's it's I finally see the finish line and the you know coming up, but. But That's a little bit about us, and um, we the final thing is we have a, a newsletter called Five Meme Friday where we break down the best of the alternative media and also we're, we're all about the memes, so we've got the freshest, dankest uh mm-hmm. memes and liberty. And we send out uh, meme magic,
0: baby. Meme magic. M- Look what m- the Kekistan did for, for that whole movement. Yeah, memes are warfare. powerful.
2: The, yeah. the, pentag- the pentagram is scared of mimetic warfare, and there's a reason because a meme can just cut through the BS in a way that, you know, that nothing else can. Um, the example I get, the only, the only uh, meme that I've got twice in, uh, in the book is it's the signing of uh, the Constitution, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, somebody's going sign right here where we give ourselves the ability to make up rules for everyone and take the wealth of others. And yes. like that one meme just exposes the whole, you know, fraudulent, ridiculous, illogical nature of the Constitution in a way that took L- Lysander Spooner. You know, he had to write a book. Called the Constitution of no authority to you know like but but like you know you can just cut through it with just a meme just like slices like mm. a hot knife through butter, and so uh, so um, five uh, meme Friday we're just we're pumping them I'm out. Uh, We've got the funniest memes and liberty.
1: I'm on there right and now, that's now and I'm how looking it. at one. Looks like a scene in the DMV and it says licensing when the government takes away your right to do something and then sells it back to you. Boy, isn't that the truth? Yeah, these are great. Okay, well, I'll be a frequent visitor to this We'll be sharing some
0: of these memes on our Telegram for sure. And yeah, I think that's, you know, the visualization that you're implementing, that you're using is powerful stuff. Because, I mean, we are visual. There's many people out there are visual learners for one. But two, it just cuts through all the BS, through all the mentalism and gets right to the heart right right to the central truth and um you know i if i can clarify here when you're saying government government all government is evil well we have to govern ourselves there is some sort of well we're saying the mind control is evil the centralized top down since i mean i think we've always had some sort of government has mankind civilized mankind ever existed together without government ever has that experiment ever actually happened I don't know. I was looking back. I mean, yes. there's been some little pockets of anarchy and stuff, but I would love to just finish on this if we can get a little philosophical and and where we go and how we self-govern. Uh, I know this is probably a whole other podcast, it really is, and and I'd love to touch on this because I love geeking out on this stuff. You have Plato who touched on this, you know, with the idea of Plato's Republic and having the philosopher king and this need for us to be in a moral state, right, A, a divine moral state of brotherly and sisterly love with each other. How do we do that? Like, how has that ever actually successfully been done ever?
2: The short answer is yes, and that's gonna be the subject of my next book, which will be called Voluntarism, uh, how the only ism fair for everyone leads to harmony and prosperity for all. And so if you think of all the other isms, every other ism, whether it's communism or you know constitutional republicanism, whatever it is, there is a ruling class that gets to use violence and extortion on everybody else And so the only ism that's fair for everybody is volunteerism. Nobody gets the ring of power. Nobody gets to use violence or extortion on on anybody else. And without giving away the ending, uh, the good news is, is the world is a self-organizing place. It produces something called spontaneous order and that you know once you realize that the government is just a provider of monopoly services okay you have to use our courts you have to use our whatever and you're like oh that could all be done in a free market where the free market would do it better faster cheaper without the violence or extortion you're free you're free you now have got you know you you now realize oh i don't have to vote to rob my neighbor and when i rot when i vote to rob my neighbor it's kind of, uh, you know, douchey. I, you know, like, like, so, you know, I think, I think, uh, that's the subject for another podcast, yeah. but that's the, that's my short answer is, uh, is my next uh, volunteerism.
1: It's an individual by individual inside job and, uh, immorality will never be, uh, breach unless people are given the freedom and that is what i see government most office. it licenses immorality and does not encourage it in the individual and we look outside of ourselves so a lot of us are starting to look within and uh, develop uh, or rediscover those attributes in and of ourselves so i would answer that question too yeah uh self-governance uh, starts uh, with each one of us individually etienne this has uh, been a brilliant conversation you're doing amazing things thank you so much and uh love to have you back on uh maybe after uh, your fifth edition is out and you can take us into the next level of what we just
0: left off with
2: yeah art of liberty dot- it's been a delightful conversation and i want to thank you guys for doing what you do because we're all going to win this thing together we're all like it's it's a power is blooming and so thank you
0: I was just going to say artofliberty.org. Check that out. And government scam.com, which is a great website where you can get the book. And I mean, you get mad props from Mark Passio, Larkin Rose, James Corbett, and our boy uh, David Rodriguez, who I've spoken with a bunch and really need to get him on this show with what he's doing with unschooling and everything. But uh, you're just affecting so many lives right now. And we appreciate you so much, Etienne and a great strategy. And I, we wanna support in, in every way we can. So if you guys are listening and resonating with this, please go to the site, uh, purchase uh, some books, um, pay it forward. Uh, that is really what uh, the economy, which we didn't really totally touch on, I believe the sacred economy of giving, the gifting economy is so crucial moving forward in a true free market. So gift these, gift these books, Forward to those who you think will resonate, or not even the the sleeping family members is really what this is for, right? So, this is the bridge. This is the bridge for the awakening. So, thanks so much, Etienne. Uh, this has been a wonderful show. And thank you guys. Uh, please give us a thumbs up, share with your friends and family if you enjoyed this content uh, that really helps us out. And uh, we love you. Remember to get outside, get your feet in the soil, plant something, go for a hike. Mother Nature is our best teacher. And we will see you next week. Cheers, guys.